Thanks for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Dominique Russell. As a primary school teacher, how confident would you say you are at teaching music? Do you feel adequately prepared to teach music or incorporate music into your lessons? What areas of music do you feel you need the most support in? A pilot professional development program on music teaching in primary schools has been assessed in a new report. The program involved five separate sessions on different areas in music, like composition, singing and instruments. The confidence of the teachers involved in the program were assessed before the program commenced and after they'd completed all of the sessions. The main contributor to their increasing confidence was the simple activities they were able to pick up, which we'll share in this episode. I'm joined in this episode by the report's authors, Benjamin Thorne and Inga Brash. Benjamin is a composer and a casual lecturer in creative arts education at the University of New England, and Inga Brash is a former university lecturer and currently teaches at Presbyterian Ladies College in Armidale, New South Wales, the same region where this study took place. Let's jump in to hear more about their research. So why was this study so important for you two to conduct? I suppose my interest in this is kind of both personal and professional. Um, I have four kids and I think that was what was the initial kind of uh, idea behind the research. I just noticed how little music education my kids were getting um, in their primary school. So my interest in music education, my first degree is in music um, and my quals, my teaching quals are in music. But like I said, it really came back to having four kids and seeing the lack of music education happening at their particular school, knowing that it had been a school that had had a really strong music tradition. And that got us both thinking about how in a town like Armidale, which has, it's sort of spoilt for choice with public primary schools, but how there can be such a disparity in the music education that's being offered within those schools. Um, so a town that where schools should, you know, for all intents and purposes, be offering the same type of thing, there was a huge difference. And then we started drilling down a little more into that, into well, why is it not, ha- not taking place or taking place in an ad hoc manner? And that really came down to both the in-service, what was happening in the schools, but also the pre-service preparation that teachers were getting. I'll just add that, you know, Armadale is probably lucky compared to some places. I've had um, primary education students who've gone out on prac and I got a frantic phone call from one, one saying, I can't do a music lesson. My supervising teacher says we did music in term one which was really worrying. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we also have, uh, we're very spoilt for choice with schools, but we have uh, some private schools in town as well. And I'm actually currently teaching at PLC Armadale, which is a school that has a highly supported um, music program. Um, And that also corresponds with it has excellent academic results, extensive co-curricular offerings. So we decided not to do a comparison between apples and oranges and look at the private system and the public system uh, because we wanted to just kind of keep the control as all of the public schools, which really um, they're, they're running the same curriculum 
and they have the same requirements to meet the number of you know creative arts hours within the within the school week but it just wasn't happening so we were interested to know why why is it that you think that many primary school educators are really lacking this confidence and skills when it comes to teaching music and particularly when it comes to composition and to singing? Is it, like you say, does it begin in the pre-service space? Yes, it does. I think part of the problem is that music is seen as a specialised skill and highly skilled thing, which of course it is. And, you know, in an ideal world, a good teacher who has good musical skills will be probably do a better job than one who doesn't have them. But I think too many teachers feel that they haven't got those skills um, in composition. They think it's a frightening thing. It's done by dead white males. And um, so that, you know, it's it's just, you know, lack of confidence to do it. What they don't realise, of course, is that um, they, in many other areas that a generalist teacher has, they don't have really high skills they, you know they've they're not university level mathematicians but you know they still manage to teach mathematics quite effectively so it's being able to convince them that they can be facilitators as much as anything else rather than having to you know instruct it which is what i think is really important here there's also a little bit of a um a thinking out there that someone else will do it um so i won't have to I think that's quite common um, with with generalist primary teachers in particular. Um, I think that lack of confidence and and particularly around singing possibly comes from, like uh, I've worked um, internationally and when I lived in Africa, singing is just so much a part of daily life. It is, it's just what you do all the time, no matter what you're doing, there's just singing and music happening all the time. And as a culture, we're not like that. Unless you participate in, you know, church or, uh, a community choir or something like that singing kind of falls off your radar after about preschool or primary school yes it sort of drops away until suddenly you've got adults and they may not have sung since they sang those three rhymes as a kid so um we don't really have that cultural kind of collective singing um experience that i think would normalize the process so it feels like something that's really odd and exposing and makes people feel vulnerable and when people feel vulnerable they won't do something um but i think the biggest uh factor as to why teachers aren't confident is it it does come down to particularly the last couple of generations of teachers that have gone into the workforce they're not giving given anywhere near the um required amount of um professional preparedness before they come. And that's been um, just a gradual process of lessening hours of um, part of the university qualifications in that area. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted causal um, uh, set of reasons, but I think it, yeah, it, it's cultural, it's a lack of preparation, and it's also this sort of idea that, well, someone else will do it. The other thing that we haven't mentioned is the importance of um, schools and principals and cohorts really getting behind music. Um, schools often like to have different focuses, but uh, it's a lot easier to kind of get behind sport or even outsource sport programs. Um, but, yeah, music is, it, it, it really, it, it everything hinges on the support of the principal and the support of the school community for it to really thrive. 
And so obviously this pilot study that was evaluated in the paper that we're looking at was focused on music professional development to really address all of these areas. So can you talk me through who took part in these sessions and what was covered in them? I think there were five in total. Uh, We had 17 participants, I think, from across five schools in town. Uh, We ran five sessions. We decided to keep it fairly concentrated, do it over a five-week period just for an hour and a half each. That was partly due to not wanting to overwhelm teachers, working with their availability. Um, And we were really lucky that the principals of the schools that were involved were incredibly supportive and provided RFF for the teachers. Um, We broke those sessions down. Ben and I shared them. Uh, I did the first couple, I think. One was just straight out on singing. Um, and then one was on singing and also developing resources and repertoire, how to actually find appropriate songs. Uh, and then Ben did a session on composition and then he did another one, which was sort of on composition movement and using instruments. And then the fifth and final week that we had them, um, it was peer teaching. So they got to choose one of the areas and actually try it out with a, with a friendly cohort. And the thing that we found was there was a lovely rapport within the group. We filmed it all. And so we could actually witness this kind of um, uh, thawing of um, fear and this really active engagement that happened. And it meant that then almost immediately teachers reported back that they'd gone into the classroom and put this stuff into, into practice. So it was a total of seven and a half hours of PD. That's it. Um, one and a half hours each week and the teachers all came up to the university and um, we had a big space and yeah we had a little afternoon tea and it was just yeah it was it was free. Yeah well I think um, the, the really interesting thing um, well two, two points one is uh, they came from all the local primary schools apart from one who decided, where the principal decided that you know they didn't need this uh, but the other, the really interesting thing was, I think, the ability of them to get an idea, go back to the classroom and do it the next day. And that, I think, was what was the real strength of the program, the, the linking, the close connect, nexus between learning to do something and implementing it. And I think this is, you know, really important. I think that the three main factors and I think a lot of our research kind of comes back to this is that we had willing participants so no one was forced to do this it was just offered and people opted in Um, we had a really supportive environment uh, and we had obviously really strong and wholehearted principal endorsement and those three things make all the difference Absolutely. And there's one um, point that I just want to pick up there. Like you said, they implemented these activities straight away. Um, And you'd mentioned that particularly um, these activities were around composition. Um, So I was wondering if you'd be able to give a couple of examples of what some of those activities were. Composition was the thing which initially the, the participants were least confident about. And they made a fantastic improvement over the over the in terms of their confidence. And I think, you know, I'd like to claim this was you know absolutely fantastic teaching. But really, it's probably the fact that we just provided them with simple activities that they could use and implement in the cast classroom. Um, a lot of this was was around you know creating semi improvised soundscapes using. In, stimuluses from either 
either stories or pictures. These, this is something which works really well in the classroom because the teacher doesn't actually need to have the skills. This teacher just needs to set it up and then the kids will create things that the teacher has not thought of and couldn't think of. Basically, it was providing them with, you know, being able to give the kids a framework saying, right, here is a picture of a rainforest. What sounds might you hear in this rainforest? How can we create those sounds with the resources we have, which can be our voices, it can be our bodies, it can be... It can be, you know, ad hoc instruments in the classroom, or if you've got real instruments, you can use those. That's part, that's the start of, start of a start of a good soundscape. Then, of course, you want to give it some structure, so you think about it and say, okay, that's what those sounds. What happened just before this? How are those sounds different? And what happens just after it? Again, how is that different? And that suddenly gives you a nice, well structured shape for a composition. And um, and this is the sort of thing that um, people went, as our participants went back with. The other other thing we can do is, you know, find stories which have lots of nice rhythms and how can you enhance these? I think um, the other thing that Ben's kind of alluded to is it, it helped the teachers to realize that composition doesn't have to be about the dots on the page. It can be about creating soundscapes, creating rhythmic ostinati, um, building from stories, but it doesn't, I think people sort of, there's often a block where they feel like it's a skill set that involves being able to read manuscript and notate perfectly. It's actually not. It's, it's an oral skill and it's a creative skill. So it was kind of shifting that paradigm from it being a written dots on the page kind of practice to actually just no, create a soundscape, create an atmospheric kind of creative um, piece in whatever form. Yep. Yeah. And it's the, that mind, mind shift to, you know, what is possible and, oh, we did that. That's really easy. I can do that. That's really effective. And that, that was responsible for the uh, a, a massive shift in confidence in doing composition from the beginning to the end of, of the workshops. Yeah, absolutely. And like you've said there, you you know what the difference was between the beginning and the, the end of the professional development program because you conducted some surveys before and after. So can you talk me through a little bit more about what the biggest changes were between the surveys that the educators did at the very beginning and what they had, had given as responses at the end of the survey? Yes, well, we did, we did, we did this. Um, we asked them about their confidence to do certain activities and gave them a seven-point Likert scale. So four was in the middle, one was not very confident, and seven was really confident. Um, at the beginning, most most of the things were roughly in the middle, with a little bit towards the less confident. But um, we had massive changes when we looked at the, um, the means. Uh, composition, for instance, increased by... Uh, 2.8 points. The, the mean went from 3 to 5.8, which is a massive change. But we also had, you know, significant changes of more than two points um, in being able to find repertoire and find resources and to use odd things as musical instruments. You're making music out of everyday items. Those were the ones which really, those were the four things, you know, teaching composition, 
finding resources, finding repertoire, and um, making music out of everyday items. Confidence in singing, in teaching singing went up quite well. Confidence in singing solo in public went up a little bit, but you wouldn't expect it to go up a lot with, in, over just five weeks. <laughs> But they did enjoy singing in a group. And I think one of the, the biggest um, area of improvement that we saw was we sort of categorised things around confidence and initiative um, and creativity. And the biggest area of improvement was in that teacher confidence. So across a whole lot of domains, they felt far more confident after just seven and a half hours of, of P, targeted PD. Um, but also, yeah, in that initiative, in knowing how to source repertoire, knowing what sort of resources they can quite easily and comfortably use in the classroom. So that was a really big, um, yeah, a, a big shift, which was really nice to see. And so we, if we can move on to the implications of this report and of this pilot study now, what would you say are some of the implications for primary school teachers across the country? Well, I think the implication is that... First of all, that in terms of teaching music, there is a serious deficit in terms of confidence. But this can be solved fairly easily. And that um, producing, you know, small, small chunks of PD, professional development, um, which can be immediately implemented is a really strong thing that can be done. I mean, I think, you know, again, I, I'll reiterate that. You know, the ability to learn something one night and go back into the classroom, try it out, and then succeed with it the next day is a really powerful thing. Um, what they got, what the, the participants got out of it is that they gain some knowledge of what can be done and see it modelled and try it out. And it's, you know... That's, you know, nexus that I think is really the most important thing. So that, you know, you know, it's, I suppose it calls for, you know, the, a great, you know, opportunity for creating a professional development, which can have immediate and significant effects. But I think there's also really profound um, implications in all of this for school leadership. Um, and I think that came out really strongly both in the most recent research that we did but also in previous research where we did some case studies of various schools um, within our region and we realized like I said earlier that everything hangs on the balance of principal support. Um, A principal can make or break programs um, which is often influenced by their own personal priorities and perhaps um, a lack of awareness around some of those sort of quantifiable academic outcomes that a music program can actually deliver. So I think we've witnessed just in the last uh, five to 10 years here in Armadale that individual schools can kind of go from zero to hero in terms of their sort of measurable indicators of well-being, their academic results, their engagement, and this has all been through music programs. But equally, they can go from hero back to zero Um, if that principal support changes. So I think for uh, principals, there is a real need to not only sort of recognise those academic benefits, but to uh, support professional development for generalist staff, recognising that, you know, it's possibly an area that is um, falling a little short in their pre-service preparation, Um, engaging specialists where that is possible. Not all schools can afford it or prioritise their funding that way, but where possible, 
um, have specialists enhance those programs and being really welcoming to peripatetic staff like the more um, experts in the community that are welcomed into schools um, the more it just creates that creative culture you know it actually sort of changes the the dynamic of the school and aspirational parents will recognize where that creative culture is and they will sort of um, they're the schools that tend to attract you know um, those high achieving students but also the academic benefits that flow down to every individual student regardless of the haves and have nots everyone benefits from a music education i'll just add to that that while having specialists in the school is a good idea we do need to encourage the generalist teachers to use music within their general general teaching because uh, it's too easy to sort of you know throw it off you know get out get out of it and the thing that and one of the things which we did point out is that so many musical activities can be linked cross to cross-curriculum so that, you know, it's a way of getting the kids in enthused and more importantly, getting the kids to think about different curriculum areas in different ways. And that is, you know, fantastically valuable for their overall intellectual and academic development. I think it's like we said earlier, it's getting over that someone else will do it mentality and realizing I can actually do it. And I can, it's an easy way to teach kind of maths. It's a fun way to teach, you know, all sorts of other kind of KLAs is to introduce a little bit of music in the room. Um, yeah, I think it's, it is about just developing that, that culture of creativity. That's all for this episode. To stay up to date with our school improvement series, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you can be notified of any new episodes. That way you can also access our other series like Behaviour Management, The Research Files, Teaching Methods and Teacher Staff Room. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate or review the podcast in our podcast app.